Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. Hey, so much to look forward to this summer. I'm really excited about the growth that's happening in our church. I'm excited about the advancement that's happening in individual people's lives. One of the greatest joys I have is on a Sunday and on a Monday and throughout the whole week getting messages from people and texts from people saying, hey, I'm doing this thing and it's actually bearing fruit in my life. I love hearing that. Thank you so much. For those of you, you have no idea what an encouragement it is to me and to our whole team when we hear about the effect that church at home is having in your life. Is this the way we would plan to do church? Probably not. It's not the first plan, but my goodness, is God ever using it. In the middle middle of a global pandemic and people locked down, we're really seeing our church grow, not only in its reach, but also in depth of relationship. One of the greatest ways that's happening is through hubs. If you're not in a hub, we'll just keep saying it every week. I don't even apologize for that. I don't feel bad for that because community is a game changer. Being in relationship with people makes all the difference. And I also want to apologize at any point for giving an invitation for people to give and invest in the growth of the church, invest in the health and the sustaining of the church. You know, in the Bible, the church is referred to as the storehouse. And in fact, when we honor God, he puts it this way. He says, I want you to bring into the storehouse. A lot of what we've been able to do in this season is because people have cared to make this church their storehouse. And say, I'm going to actually continue to receive nourishment and continue to receive spiritual vitality from Vivid Church. But it's also allowed us to be able to be quickly responsive and generous when needs present themselves. We've had some families in our city who have struggled financially in uh, the work stoppages and everything that's happened with COVID-19. We've been able to quickly respond with important things because you gave, because you cared, because you gave and invested. We've uh, been able to invest into a church in Naples, Italy, that was in the process of planting right when COVID-19 locked the entire nation down. And uh, their pastor, who's a a friend of ours, we reached out and we were able to actually invest. Now that their building is reopened and their church plant is back on track, we're able to give them some of the vital things they need to make their space hospitable. That's because you cared. That's because you gave. A few weeks ago during our our conference, we were able to partner with Compassion Canada as we help kids and families around the world who are in desperate need because of the economic crisis surrounding COVID-19. Why? Again, because you cared and because you gave. And then in the days to come, there'll be all sorts of new needs. In the days to come, even as we get ready to re-emerge into gathering together physically, there will be all sorts of expenses and opportunities for us to care and to give, to care, and to invest so that we can see more people reach with the gospel. So unapologetically, I'm saying get in community. I know it's the summer, you got friends, you got family, but make some time to be in a hub. And unapologetically, I'm saying, can we continue to grow in the grace of giving? Let's be the type of church that doesn't shrink back in fear, but instead instead pushes forward, says, God, I trust you. God, I, I love you. You've proven yourself faithful. And with the little I have, I believe you can do more with this than I could ever imagine. And you could use it to reach people. So let me pray for you today as you prepare to give. And I'm going to pray and believe that God will actually pour blessing into your life as well. God, I thank you that your generosity towards us is so abundant. Your grace to us is so good. And I ask right now that as we give and as we think about the big picture things, 
your church advancing and even the gates of hell not pushing up against it and not causing it to uh, to shrink back. May we be these people who give with generous hearts, with faith, with cheerfulness. And I ask right now for every need that's present, those needs in the back of our minds that stress us out when we close our eyes and put our head on our pillow at night and we think of the needs that exist, I pray that we could actually put those in your hands as well and trust you in all things. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys as you give. And God bless you as you make that step into community. I know all the time I've been talking, things have been going on in the chat. People have been inviting their friends to hubs. The people have been inviting their friends to house parties. You've had an opportunity to give. That's kind of how church at home works. There's stuff going on in the chat all the time. Now, whether you're watching on YouTube today or you're watching one of our house parties around the world, we are excited to be in week two of our series through the book of Proverbs. Last week, we talked about the, the quest for wisdom or that searching desire to find wisdom. And really, the entire book of Proverbs is about us finding God's wisdom and understanding that godly wisdom actually bears fruit and has an effect in every part of our life. And so as we continue to study this, every Sunday in the summer, we're going to talk out of a reading from this week. Today, I want to talk out of Proverbs 9. Now, if you're following along day by day, we studied Proverbs 9 on Thursday. And so Thursday, maybe you woke up like I do and poured yourself a coffee and you opened up your Bible and you began to read this. And the amazing thing to me about personal devotional life is that you have some things written in your Bible that I did not write in my Bible. That you got little things in the side notes that stood out to you that for me, that's not what stood out. And I got something else that's standing out for me. And as a community, we're making this decision. Let's grow in what God is calling us to. And so today I want to share a message about wisdom, about godly wisdom, and really truly how can we discern what wisdom sounds like? How can we have ears to hear what godly wisdom truly sounds like? Let me pray real quick and trust God to do something great in his word today. Jesus, I thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we invite you to illuminate truth to us that our hearts might be softened and at the same time emboldened to do exactly what you've called us to do. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Proverbs chapter 9. I want to read this to you. It's this picture given to what wisdom looks like and a picture given to what, what wisdom sounds like. At the same time, at the end of the chapter, you'll see there's this picture given to what foolishness looks like and what foolishness sounds like. And my job and yours is to discern what we're hearing. Let let me show you. Uh, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1, it says this, Wisdom has built her house. She has set it up with seven pillars. She's prepared her meat and she's mixed her wine and she's also set her table. She's sent out her servants and she calls from the highest point in the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food, drink the wine that I've mixed, leave your simple ways, and you will live, and you will walk in the way of insight. Okay, did you get that picture? It's kind of an incredible picture, because the writer of Proverbs here is doing something that would have been striking to the, the first hearers. The writer of Proverbs is is describing uh, a woman as the builder of a house and a woman as the, the one who would stand outside and invite people, not normally a female trait in that culture and time. It actually would have been men who built the house and men who extended hospitality. But here you got this woman who's standing at the highest point of the city, which is a place of honor. It's a place of significance. It's a place of dignity. It's a place of influence. 
She's built a house. She's prepared. And I think what the writer is saying is that wisdom, it's, there's nothing ordinary. Wisdom is an extraordinary person. Wisdom, it's like an extraordinary, outstanding, honorable woman. Like you meet that person and you say, wow, my perspective changed. That's what wisdom's like. And so he says this, wisdom has prepared a feast and is standing at the highest point in the city and calling out to the simple, calling out to those without sense, without personal insight, or those who presently lack wisdom. And wisdom is inviting those who lack wisdom, come and enjoy what I've prepared. And if you eat the food that I've prepared, you'll actually walk in the way of insight. It's kind of an interesting picture, right? Maybe if you have a great imagination, you've already pictured it with me. And if you don't, let, let me let me help you. Can you picture the meat? Someone's like, I'm a vegan. I don't want to picture the meat. Well, the Bible says meat. Just picture the meat. Can you picture the wine? Can you picture the table she set up? And, and then I think like highest point of the city, like they're looking out over the city. She's calling out and saying, hey, anyone who's simple, I've, I've prepared some food for you. I think it's kind of this interesting, engaging type of picture. And the, the writer's saying, this is what wisdom looks like. And this is what wisdom sounds like. Wisdom has prepared a feast for you and is inviting you to enjoy. Now, let me show you what foolishness looks like. The end of the chapter, it, it describes foolishness. You're going to notice a few characteristics that maybe give you pause. Let me show you. Uh, verse 13, ready? Now, foolishness is an unruly woman. She is simple and she knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city and she calls out to those who pass by, who go straight on their own way. Let all those who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there and that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Okay, do you notice this interesting feature that's taking place? The writer says, wisdom is like this extraordinary woman. Wisdom has, has prepared a meal. Wisdom has built a house. And wisdom is inviting us in to, to enjoy what has been presented. Foolishness is, is also a woman. Foolishness also has a house. And foolishness is described as also at the highest point of the city. In fact, this woman, foolishness, is described as sitting on a chair. Now, you might think that's just a really simple description. It happens to be where she was. They could have said bench. They could have said, you know, swing. They could have said she was standing or, or lounging out on a yoga mat. But it says chair. The interesting thing is in that culture, a chair was actually really rare. A chair was a luxury. A luxury item. It would have been normal to sit on the ground. It would have been normal perhaps to have a few stools, but a chair was, uh, it was like saved for the rich. It was saved for the wealthy, the successful, the accomplished. They would have a chair to sit on. Here's what I want us to notice is that wisdom and foolishness often look the same. In fact, wisdom and foolishness can often sound the same. Both wisdom and foolishness are speaking to the same target audience, the simple and those who happen to be passing by. Do you know, in your, our world right now, and in our life, and in our society, and in this day and time, there are competing voices for anyone who would listen. There are competing ideologies speaking at us, and to us, and calling us out. And unfortunately, for many of us, we have no ability to discern is this the voice of wisdom or is this the voice of foolishness? Now, if we simply look at outward comparisons, we might have a hard time discerning 
We say, well, well, this person and this ideology looks like it has some success connected to it. And at the very same time, this person and this ideology, I mean, she's got a chair. I mean, must know something. It's like, they're a celebrity. They must know something about everything. It's interesting, isn't it, that we have different competing voices trying to instruct us into the future. Now, wisdom's way leads to life. Foolishness, uh, like the folly's way leads to death. But it says that the, the hearers don't know that. Being on the outside of the house, you don't yet know that. Being on the outside of the house and listening to an invitation from wisdom, come and enjoy what I eat, you'll love it. Here you hear folly saying, come and enjoy what I have to present and you'll love it too and we don't yet know. In fact, Jesus was the one who said that we know wisdom by her deeds. That's what it says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. He says, you've, you've accused John the Baptist of having the wrong type of friends and doing the wrong type of things. You've actually accused me of having the wrong type of friends, doing the wrong type of things. In the end, wisdom's known by her deeds. So you need to follow that thought process through, follow that lifestyle pattern through, and in the end, we'll see whether it's wise or not. But here is, for you and I, this point of discernment. What do we do with these competing voices? Now, interestingly, wisdom's invitation is to generosity and hospitality. Wisdom is saying, I've put in the work, and if you would consume or be nourished by the work I've put in, trust me, you're going to come to life. Foolishness, uh, folly, man, I'm saying foolishness, it's crazy. Folly's perspective is you don't even need what I've prepared. Go steal yourself some water. You'll love the taste of it. Go, go, go deceitfully take hold of something. Cut a corner. Trust me. It tastes better. What, what foolishness says is that it's good to be bad. It, it, it's exhilarating. It's like this half truth. Is sin fun? Of course. If sin wasn't fun, no one would ever sin. If sin didn't have an enticement, no one would ever get trapped in it. No one would ever get tripped up in it. But foolishness only illuminates a half truth and says, do what's wrong. Trust me. You're going to love it. And the truth is you probably will for a moment. You probably will for a season. You might even for the extension of your life on earth, but it has an eternal uh, condemnation, an eternal penalty that comes with it. So there we are in the middle. Picture yourself again. If you're imaginative, you already pictured this. If you're not, join me. Here we are. We're those walking on the street. And we've got two women both shouting something both from the high places, both sitting at their house, both seemingly honorable, both seemingly accomplished, both seemingly successful, both seemingly to have a platform, both seemingly to have a perspective, and both inviting us to listen to what they think to be true. Where do we start? What do we do? I I feel like so many people, that's like what life feels like right now. You're going, I feel like there's these two competing political points of view, both pulling at me both with ideological uh, lingo and jargon, and I feel so simple, I don't understand. You're saying that there's two perspectives on what success looks like. Some connected to wealth, others connected to purpose. Which one's true? There's these two maybe competing voices that what, what my mom wants me to do with my future, what my dad wants me to do with my future. There's these two competing voices even on my social media feed. I'm seeing different things. I'm hearing different things. And depending which channel I turn on TV, I hear a different thing. Who do I listen to? What do I believe? It all comes down to our discernment. It all comes down to our world view. So today I want to talk to you just a few simple things. In between this description of wisdom and this description of folly, there's a couple of verses in there. Why don't we look at those together and see if there's some clues for us that we can put into application and maybe grow more capable 
of hearing the full story. Can you follow with me? Is this okay? Is this good? If you, if you were in, in the room, I'd be like, you with me? Have I lost you when I started talking about meat and wine? Did I lose you when I was talking about the chair thing? You're like, why are you talking about a chair? So you're with me still? Just sit in the chat, say we're good to go. Yeah, okay, here we go. Uh, Proverbs chapter 9. Uh, look at what it says in, in verse 7. So it's described wisdom. It's about to describe folly. Here's the verses in between. It says, whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Don't rebuke a mocker or they'll hate you. If you rebuke a wise person, however, they'll love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For, for through wisdom, your days will be many and your years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you're a mocker, you alone will suffer. Let me show you, I think, three things that we could very quickly put into practice in our lives that would help us in this regard. Number one, I want to encourage you and warn you against wasting energy. In the discernment of what is wise, a lot of people waste energy. Here's what wasted energy looks like, fighting with a mocker, trying to rebuke someone who's foolish, spending your whole time arguing with someone who just prefers to argue. Man, I wonder if this is not consuming far too much of our time in lockdown. Arguing with people who just would rather argue. Competing with perspectives and point of view. Now, now someone's saying, hold up though. What about standing for what is right? I'm all for standing what is right. But, but when you stand up for what's right and you rebuke a mocker and you find that there's no fruit there, you need to move on. Stop trying to win a Facebook battle that, that the victory would cause you to be a loser to win. You know what I'm talking about? Like you can, you can go lower and go lower and low blow until you finally convince someone they're wrong. But have you really won anything? I think the writer here is saying this. Don't waste your energy on wasted perspectives. Don't make it your goal to call out everything. Cause, cause wisdom is calling out and foolishness is calling out. We can't, we can't waste all our time calling out. Can I, can I just say that? Like our, our call out culture always calling out everyone whose point of view and perspective is different than ours or said something that might sound different than, like, does calling out have to be our only spiritual gift? I, I don't know about you. I want to grow in wisdom before I spend all my energy and time just calling out what someone else's point of view is. So he says, don't, don't waste time rebuking a mocker. It'll just lead to more insults. They'll mock you back and then you'll mock them and then they'll name call and then you'll name call and then they'll draw a conclusion and then you'll draw a conclusion and you will both become more entrenched in your perspective. You will both become actually more foolish and incapable of hearing a bigger picture. But but if you do, find yourself bringing correction to someone who's, who's wise. Guess what they do? They love you for it. Guess what? You bring correction. It's one of the greatest tests that you can say, is this conversation worth my time, my energy, my, my effort, my uh, intentionality, my character? Is it worth it? Well, when you engage, do you, do you receive from someone the appreciation? Hey, you're helping me. Let's keep on having this conversation. Or is it just going immediately to a low blow? If it goes there, we don't have to be the people. In fact, those with a godly worldview, I don't believe are the type of people who are going to race to the bottom to win a race at who can be the biggest loser. 
Is that okay to say? I, I hope you're, you're catching me. It, let's be careful with our energy. Our energy is actually a gift from God that we've been entrusted with. Let's not waste it on mockers. Number two, we need to develop a godly worldview. That's what it says right here. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I don't know if you've ever heard this saying before, well begun is half done. Like if you can just start well, you're already halfway there. You're already well on your way to growing in wisdom. If you can begin with the fear of the Lord, if you can start with that point that says, I actually put God first. Now I got to unpack this for you because someone's saying the fear of the Lord, that doesn't sound like the loving God I have come to know. It doesn't sound like the Jesus that we sing worship songs to that I'm supposed to be afraid and cower and pull back from God. Interestingly, I, I think we could think of it this way. The things that we fear control our emotions. The things that we fear actually dictate our actions. The things that we fear actually cause us to change our course of action. Like if you are scared of rodents, and then someone like, oh, I'm not scared, I just don't like them. Come on, be honest. If you're scared of rodents, and a rodent walks through the room, it changes your course of action. It changes your emotional state. It takes over your thinking. Like the Bible is saying this, what you fear actually has license to control you. And when the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it's saying this, getting to the place where what has the license to lead us or the license to control us or the leverage in our life to bring uh, forward momentum is God alone. If we can get to that place where we fear God alone, Man, we are well on our way to wisdom. Why? Because God's in the driver's seat. God is steering our thoughts. God is steering our emotions and God has input into our actions. So he's saying this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's a starting place. So eradicating in our life the fear of what people think of us. Eradicating in our, our, our thoughts in life the fear of failure. Eradicating the thought of even like disappointing or failing God. Some people here, you're so scared of God. You're like, oh, I'm not scared. I'm going to fail him. You can't fail God. It's impossible to disappoint God. He's never been disappointed with you. Disappointment is expecting someone to do something only for them to do less. And the gap in between your expectation and reality is called disappointment. God knows the future. So he knows every way that you will fall short and he chooses you anyway. He loves you anyway. So you can't disappoint God. Starting from that place of fearing the Lord and allowing God to guide our steps, that is actually the beginning place for wisdom. It's, it's this godly discernment developed through a godly worldview. Now, really quickly, our worldview is the lens through which we see the world around us. And everybody has a different worldview. Everyone has a nuanced worldview, and it's been pieced together partly by the, the household they were raised in and the, the way they were educated and the perspectives they've come to find and the, the type of things they feed their, their mind and their emotions with, the, probably geographically where they live, potentially the ethnicity that they were born into, the socioeconomic standing, all these things, it, they speak into our worldview. And if we're not careful, we, we think to ourselves, I don't have a worldview. I look at the world through no lens. I just see it as it is. But the truth is we all see the world through a lens, and we need to own that. Now, what I want to do and what I'm challenging us as a church to do is let's develop a godly lens, a godly worldview. Now, the greatest way to see the world the way that, that God does is to look at the world through the eyes of Christ, through the way Jesus 
actually revealed himself. John 3, 16, the most quoted verse in scripture says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. It was already condemned. He actually sent his son to set the world free. So we see in here these really simple things. You're going, oh, don't simplify the godly worldview down to one verse. No, I'm just saying it's the beginning of wisdom. Look, God loves the world. If your worldview doesn't involve love, it's probably not godly. If you don't have a loving worldview, you probably are right now lacking a godly worldview. And I would challenge and say you might not yet have the fear of the Lord that gives you the perspective to start seeing things through wisdom. So God loved the world. The world means this inclusive, broad strokes. God loves people who are thinking differently at present. God loves people who are actually enemies of his right now. Does your worldview give room for you to love someone who's different than you? Does your worldview actually inform you to see the world around you uh, in this loving lens? He loved the world so much that he gave. Does your worldview involve generosity? Or does your worldview involve I get what I deserve and I keep what is mine? God so loved that his love led him to action. Is your worldview critical? You sit back and you critique and you point out and you call out? Or is your worldview open-handed, open-armed, extending, generous, engaging, That's the worldview of God. It's loving and it's giving that whoever would believe in him would not perish. God's worldview is eternal. Can you imagine that? God's got this eternal worldview, everlasting life. Sometimes our worldview is moment by moment, issue by issue, day by day from one offense to the next. And we don't have this eternal worldview. I want to challenge you. Let's get an eternal worldview. Foolishness might taste good for a moment. But wisdom actually is proven by her deeds. Wisdom actually leads to life. So number one, let's guard ourselves from wasting our energy. Let's stop with all of the rhetorical back and forth bashing. It's not helping us develop wisdom. It's actually doing the opposite. It's engaging in foolishness. Number two, let's develop this godly worldview, a fear of the Lord that leads towards more wisdom. A fear of the Lord that actually helps us to see things the way God does. I love what it says in Proverbs 7. We, we studied this, uh, would have been on Tuesday. Just really simple. Look at these as like starting points for you. It says, my son, keep my words, store up my commands within you. This is verse 1, now verse 2. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teaching as the apple of your eye and bind it to your fingers. Write it on tablets on your heart and say to wisdom, you're my sister. And say to insight, you're my relative. What he's saying here is this. I want you to make wisdom the apple of your eye. What a weird saying, right? Apple of your eye. It's actually an old uh, term which refers to the pupil of your eye. The place that you are giving all your focus to. What God says is this. If you want to grow and develop a godly worldview, give all of your focus towards wise things. Put all of your attention towards what is wise. And then bind it to your fingers. Imagine that. Try doing something without your fingers. This is speaking of our work, what we put our activity, energy, and output to. Make godly wisdom the focus of your work. It's your life's work. It's your effort and energy. We want to become wise. It's not just what we're focused on. It's what we're working towards. And then thirdly, it says, write it on tablets on your heart. In other words, give your emotions wholly to the thought of growing in wisdom. Make it your heart's desire. I want to be more like Jesus. Make it your heart's goal. I want to be the type of person God has called me to be. So it's our our focus 
It's our function. It's our feeling. It's our focus. It's our function. It's our feeling. That's a godly worldview developing in us. Let's not waste our energy. Let's develop a godly worldview that leads us to say, only God can lead me. Only God. Some people say, only God can judge me. The truth is, if you live with a godly worldview, only God can lead me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Then the third thing that I want to say really simply, and with this I close, is that what you feed will feed you. What you feed into will be what you are nourished on. What you feed will feed you. Let me show you verse 12. It says, if you're wise, your wisdom will reward you. And if you're a mocker, you alone will suffer. Now, now what the Bible is not saying is that your wisdom won't have a positive effect on other people. It really will. What the Bible is not saying is that your foolishness won't affect anyone else because it really will. Everyone around you will feel the effect of it. But what it is, is making this rare, hyper-individualistic statement saying you will be the greatest benefactor of wisdom in your life. And you will be the the greatest uh, indebted to your own foolishness. It's going to cost you more than you can imagine. And if you're wise, it will reward you more than you can imagine. So what you feed will feed you. The very simplest way I could put this, it comes down to your own social media feed. What you watch is what you will continually see. What you actually engage with is what will continually be sold to you. It's an algorithm. They notice that you like shopping for certain things and they're going to send you the same similar things. People who like this generally like this. People who watch this video generally find this one funny. People who engage in this media content generally like this media content. People with this perspective generally also share that perspective. And what you're feeding into is actually feeding this algorithm saying, educate me, teach me, show me, sell me. Interestingly, you see different things on social media than your your friends do. I was talking to a friend just the other day. I'm like, isn't it crazy all those videos about science that, that, that keep showing up? And like, I've never seen one. I'm like, no way. And then someone else is going, it's crazy, the price of cryptocurrency. And they're like, oh, I haven't seen anything on crypto for years. It, it's because you looked at something recently and you triggered an algorithm. It's interesting. It's like wisdom has an algorithm as well. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. When you walk in wisdom, you will find yourselves with more ease making wiser decisions and more complex decisions will become simpler and simpler. If you're foolish, you'll find yourself more constantly feeding into that foolishness. What you feed will feed you. So I want you to treat your attention as a valuable commodity. Treat your energy as a valuable commodity. What are you giving your energy to in this season, this summer? What are you feeding into? What are you giving your your life to because what you feed will feed you what you focus on will, will, will actually pour back into your life i hope it's wisdom if it's wisdom we're going to see the reward in our life so all the way back to this picture wisdom's calling out let's not judge something as being wise because it looks successful because foolishness also looks successful let's not assume that that something is foolish because it, it's loud because wisdom was also loud Let's not assume that something is wise because it it offers benefit because foolishness offered that too. So often, the difference between wisdom and foolishness, it's, it's hard to discern. So how do we discern? We stop wasting energy. We develop a godly worldview. And then we understand what I feed into will feed me back. One of the most practical things we can do is just start with looking at who Jesus was and how Jesus was and saying, if I could do that, if I could make the apple of my eye, the very focal point of my life, godly perspective, if I could make the function of my life, the things I do even with my hands, 
godly things, if I could let my, my feelings, my affections only be swayed by God and really, really allow Him to develop my worldview, then I'll be able to easily discern, oh, that voice of foolishness calling me to death, calling me to, to drink the sweet water that's stolen, but this voice of wisdom is inviting me into meat and wine and a feast that leads to eternal satisfaction. Now catch me. I hope you didn't hear this message and say, well, now I have a godly worldview. Worldview is a lifelong pursuit. Developing a worldview to see things the way Jesus did will take you the rest of your life. But it starts with allowing Him to lead our emotions, allowing Him to lead our decisions, and allowing Him to lead our actions. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you right now for every person at church at home, those watching on YouTube, those in in house parties, those who might be watching this days or weeks from now. I pray that you would meet us where we're at. Help us to discern the difference between wisdom and foolishness. Help us not to waste our energy, but to understand what we're feeding is actually going to feed us. And so may we begin from that foundation of a godly worldview that helps us to hear things the way that you hear them, to see things the way that you see them, and to respond to things the way that you respond to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church Podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.